Hello, and welcome to the Plant-Based Business Podcast. It's Damien here. We've just sat down with Paul Brown, founder of Bowl. Paul was headed up Innocent's food division before he left to pursue his dream of creating a really unique veg pot that was going to disrupt the UK food market forever. In this conversation, we talk about the highs and lows of running a plant-based startup, the challenges with scaling a team, and Paul's hopes and dreams for the future. There's loads of value in here for anyone looking to scale a business in the food sector, so sit back and enjoy. I'm good. All good. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Obviously, we've known each other for a few years and it's been a brilliant rise for Bowl, really, since you kind of turned the business plant-based and led led it on that journey. So I think to sort of introduce everyone, do you want to tell, tell us about your background before you started Bowl and maybe a bit about your childhood growing up? Yeah, so the first part of that question, so I was like a dropped out of university similar to Louis actually in many senses I was uh thought I was going to be a footballer tried to be a rugby player and those those dreams never quite came off and uh ran off to America to become a snowboard instructor and nearly killed myself went over a jump that was a bit too big for someone of my ability broke every bone in my wrist dislocated my elbow and spent the best part of a year recuperating in Los Angeles and this was when I was only 21 and I called my mum back home in Manchester and I was like well, she was like, come home. And I was like, no, the traveling choice is paying for everything. Can I stay for like nine, 10 months in LA? Because I had a lot of kind of recuperating and out of hospital. I had a cast on from my wrist all the way up to my shoulder. And in that time, it was a proper sliding doors moment for me. It was realized I, my sport was, was not going to pay the bills. And I was not really that passionate about anything else in the academia world. And, and what I realized was I, I just loved food and always loved food. My mum ran a catering company. My father opened the first ever wine bar in Manchester and I I was just surrounded by food and the experience. So I wrote my first business plan and it was largely influenced by that Californian lifestyle of uh, back then people were eating vegetables for fun and drinking smoothies. And so my, my business plan was essentially like, I'm sure all your listeners know Pod, Itsu, Leon. So like nearly 20 years ago, they just weren't around. It was it was McDonald's or a greasy spoon. And I thought that maybe there's a healthy way to get food on the move. And someone like Leon, I, I think, probably nailed it about as, as good as it gets. So my business plan was to do that. Came back to the UK and tried to get that going and, and, and only raised half the money. And I was looking back, I'm surprised I even raised half the money because I knew jack all about business. How did you find investors for that? I kind of exactly like the way I started Bowl, but after I, <laughs> I did that once, I'd already spent 14 years <laughs> le- learning how to run a business. So uh, yeah, I was friends and family and I'd found a site in Manchester to to, to launch and I was working in a, like some really crap cafe, just making breakfast for people and learning how to like do the front of house and the back of house. I, I got a job. I went for a job interview at Pret, and they they didn't give me a job because <laughs> um, I wanted to learn how they did it as well. Uh, and I, would, I was just kind of completely skint and realised that this wasn't the time. So I came down to London and I tried an innocent smoothie. And on the back of the bottle, it obviously said "Come visit us, fruit at Fruit Towers." And I just turned up at the front door, uh, met Rich, Adam, and John, the founders. They were the it was a business that, had, like in the in the infancy, it was only selling smoothies in London at the time, and 
I could see there was some magic in that brand and that bottle that I experienced in California. And so they, they filled up a, a van of smoothies. I drove up to Manchester and started selling them at the back of a van. And I thought I was going to be there a couple of years and then start my own business. Actually, it was it was 14 years later. Amazing. So it was uh, 2008 when I'd worked at the business for nearly seven, eight years and I'd been pestering the boys to do food. And... It was then when I moved from from the drinks division into launching Innocent Veg Pots. I remember them actually. They were one of the first well Veg Pots I can remember actually being able to to buy around two thousand eight nine maybe. Um, yeah, yeah. It was it was quite big for the category because rightly so that whole category of ready meals. Which if I, if anyone ever asks me what I do and I say I work for Bol and they go oh. oh you do the ready meals. And I'm like, someone's punched me in the solar plexus because I'm like, <laughs> it's just, I feel like we create the antithesis to a ready meal. But anyway, that ready meal category is, a, it was a five billion pound category, but most of the stuff was quite rightly stigmatized as highly processed, like bad packaging and just not good good for you or the planet. And, and so the veg pots that we launched at the time was, was quite disruptive and a big success for the first few years. But as I'm sure everybody knows, Innocent got sold to Coca-Cola a few years later and the world's biggest drinks brand wanted to really concentrate on the drinks and the wellness industry and go global and are doing a really good job at it. I just it. want to highlight a couple of bits within that, which I think are really valuable for would-be entrepreneurs listening, is firstly that if you don't understand all too well the, the nature of how to run a business that you're interested in, a great way to learn is to go and work in one. And secondly, if you do see a brand that catches your eye and you think, wow, you know, I'm really, I really buy into what they're doing, feel open to reach out and contact them and speak to them because it's the only way you're going to really get to, get to know it. Right, exactly, man. It's, it is without question the best way. Just just do it. And so it's one of our values at Bold, just that curiosity, that inquisitive nature. And I, I, do, I do think uh, there's a lot of people losing that nowadays. We kind of expect everything just to be click of a button and, it, and it's there and there's no better way than getting in amongst it and start and starting from the bottom I, I could never I could never have foreseen that the amount that I learned in that 14 years it, it was it was without question the best business school in FMCG and the people I met who are still many of them great friends now the original founders are investors in ball the learning about the deep-rooted importance of having a, a true purpose and vision and values and just just it was it was quite incredible and the amount of people that have trodden the boards boards at fruit towers and then and then gone off to do their own thing and it was um it was it was a special you get place. A good vibe from there i actually went i did a talk at innocent yeah uh, about <laughs> two years ago actually during one of the lunch and learn things Wicked. and the thing that i loved about it was that they were open to having it was with jp from all plants actually um, JP nice. and I did, used to do a bit of a double act. I mean, we still do sometimes where we go in and give a talk on kind of like conscious business, startup, etc. And it was amazing to see how open they were to having these outside people come in and share what they know and put food on for everyone. And just that inquisitive nature seemed to flow through, which I thought was amazing. But on that then, so so 14 years there and then launching, launching Bowl, what was the kind of catalyst to coming away from Innocent to start, start the company? So... It became it became really apparent to me in around 2013 that Coca-Cola didn't really have any long-term interest in the food division that I was looking after. 
And so unbeknown to anybody else in the business, including the founders and the board, I wrote a business plan and a proposal to do a management buyout because I knew that there was still a big opportunity in making it easy for busy people to eat well. And there was so much innovation I wanted to do beyond just the veg pots. So I wrote that business plan and went back and forth for the best part of, of a couple of years, agreeing an exit plan with Douglas Lamont, who's the current CEO at, at Innocent. And um, actually James Quincy. So James Quincy was the person who was running North, Northern Europe for um, Coca-Cola at the time and did the Innocent deal. He's, he's now he's now the main person at Coca-Cola. And and we, we made an agreement that as part of me exiting the Innocent business and closing that down as elegantly as possible, they, they gave me their blessing to start up on my own. And I'm still to this day don't know of any deal that has ever been done like that. It was it was quite unique and uh, I guess at the time I was I was a bit frustrated that I couldn't just again start my own business because I wanted to do it in 2013. I had the business plan, it was ready to go, but I had to wait another couple of years. And again, it's it's just having that patience. I guess like something of interest is could you have just walked out of Innocent then and gone and created your own concept, or was there something valuable when taking? Because you rebranded the Innocent Vegetables yeah. essentially as well. Was was it the kind of R and D that had gone into that product, or the sort of supply? The supplier network that that brand had you were able to kind of inherit with bowl like what was the advantages of paying i guess some money to spin this business out of yeah innocent? it was more about relationships than anything else i was that there was absolutely nothing to stop me walking out and starting my own thing and, and essentially start starting to compete yeah. with a product that i knew was was going to be leaving over the next couple of years the shelves but you're never going to meet anybody that talks as positively, including the innocent founders, as me. I, I'd been part of building that brand. And, yeah, I owned the tiniest, tiniest percentage of the brand because I was an employee and I was lucky enough to get share options with it. But that's not what gets me out of bed in the morning. I was just proud of what we what we, we as a team had created. And I, I didn't want there to be any bad blood and actually... The way we structured the deal, which was for me to go into the retailers and the production partners and explain that right up until that last innocent product that was being sold, they had my word we would we would be putting our best foot forward to to make sure that we delivered great service, great quality. It was still under that brand, which which I'm always going to feel a part of. So it was for my reputation and for the relationships that I've still got, it felt like the right thing to do to stay and and see it out and. Like I said, I I was I was lucky enough at the same time to be having getting a wage from Innocent, but at the same time being getting the blessing of of the CEO to to start my own thing up. So there was loyalty on both sides. So that's, yeah, I can see that relationships everything in business. So I can see the benefit of doing it that way. And so when was the day you you, you finished the Innocent? And when did when was Bowl actually born? What can you remember Thir the date? Yeah, exactly. Thirtieth of April. 2015 so i walked into it was a sainsbury's and on the shelves and i've still got pictures of it now on the shelves were the innocent veg pots and that was the last ever run that we did and i was part obviously making sure that that happened and and the bowl veg pots sitting alongside them and it yeah since then kind of shivers down my spine thinking about it now and it was it was, it was saying bye-bye to one part of my life and, and moving on to the next part. 
when did the the need to make it plant-based come into it? End of 2016. We had grown high double digits year on year. We were profitable, made, which wasn't in the budget. We made tens of thousands of pounds of profit, which we donated to charity. We just actually won new business of the year at the National Business Awards. Uh, things, things were going better than we could have ever imagined. And at the time, 52% of the business had recipes that contained meat, fish and dairy. And I read The Food Revolution, How Not to Die, watched Cowspiracy, and I felt sick. I felt like I'd been, I wouldn't go as far as to say I'd been, I'd been lied to. I just felt naive to the realities that the impact of our food choices are having on our health and the environment. And I knew it was time to strategically pivot the business. And it's easy to look back now with rose-tinted glasses, but we went perilously close to going out of business, so half the size of the business overnight. 48% of the business was doing great veggie and vegan food, though, and I, I just made the decision that we were going to go 100%. So we dropped meat and fish um, immediately from the range, and then over the next nine months, we couldn't immediately drop the dairy because then we had no business to talk of, and... And then made the made the move to 100 percent plant based. What was the the messaging like around that at that time? Because it's easy for us to sit in here in in 2020, when veganism is now you know this huge this this growth sector and it's it's a it's a common term to be seen thrown around on high streets. But this isn't 2020. We're going back a few years. So yeah, what was the messaging for you guys at that point when you were starting to, to you know to to adapt the range to be plant based? That's a great question. I mean, there was there was. Well, four four key stakeholders. Looking back, so most importantly, there was the team. So I had a, had to give a message to the team. I then had to obviously deliver a message to our investors, and then there was our partners, so our production partners and retailers, and then and then finally the 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 consumers, our 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 fans, as I like to call them. And the message was the same to all. It was. I mean, it sounds, sounds almost a bit evangelical to start saying that I'd seen the light, but I, I did. I, I saw something, um, I saw an opportunity for us as a brand to stand for so much more. Our purpose was to make it easy for busy people to eat well. I made the decision, our purpose, this was in 2016, and we've been banging it out ever since, was singular to inspire the world to eat more plants. Simple as that. Uh, ultimately, a plant-based brand that's loved by vegans and meat eaters, that that's what 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 I wanted to do, and it was very binary. Though it was saying to take Tesco as an example, right? These are our best-selling recipes: J Jamaican jerk chicken, Carolyn coconut chicken. We're, we're going to stop selling them to you. And for people that don't work in FMCG, a quick development from ideation to launch is is like twelve months. Most companies take a couple of years. We managed to do it in nine months, but that was that was a long time for us not having new recipes to replace that space that we lost. Um, and my message was that we have an opportunity to sex up the veg category and be part of a movement and something that is so much bigger than any individual, so much bigger than Ball. And it's 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 a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and it's worth going out of business for. It did mean that we needed to put more investment into the business because I also didn't want people to lose their jobs, even though I told people to brush up their CVs and get ready, we might go out of business. I just don't think you can read all that stuff and watch all that stuff and, and then be in a position where I was in the fortunate position where I could make a big strategic change to the business and, and be 
part of something so much more positive. Did at the time, were your investors and people in your circle of friends, what were they saying about this decision to go plant-based? Were they supportive or? I mean, most of them to be like, they, they wouldn't say it now, but they were like, what the, you're an idiot. Like we were, we had growth rates that were flying and I was immediately slicing those in half. Those first few years, you there's a high probability, nine out of 10 businesses go go out of business in those first few years. And we were onto something and so there, was a, there was a lot of sense in them challenging the decision, but as much as I really wanted their buy-in, I didn't need their buy-in. It was it was my baby, and thankfully, having a few like pretty hefty debates and discussions that they got it, they got it, and and I'm really lucky they've they've backed us all the way, and all of those all of those stakeholders I mentioned. It's amazing. And so you go plant based, and you've dropped half your your lines of products, basically. Yeah. I guess you needed to replace them and, yeah. and launch a lot of new products into the market. How did you go about, you know, ensuring the quality was maintained for the products and you know, rapidly developing new products for the market? It, it was much easier for me to do because I'd got that background in making delicious plant-based food that looks amazing, tastes banging and, and is net nutrient dense. And, and, and so it wasn't like I was, I was strategically pivoting from making one type of product to a completely new type of product that I had no idea of how to do. And I, I, I'm kick-ass at surrounding myself with much smarter people than me. So I, I make the maverick decisions and then uh, give input. And then the, the team around me just blow my mind every there's single one, day. There's one thing that, that can put people off with, with even going vegan, let alone starting a vegan business, is that you do come under some scrutiny. When you say when you take a stance and you say we're plant based, yeah, people then like to dig and pick out. Well, not everything you do is there, or where they try and find kind of yeah. like <laughs> like kinks in your yeah. catch you out, right? Yeah. So for you guys, I mean, initially at least with with packaging, I know that came up for you you guys a little bit. Talk to us a little bit about some of the challenges around that. Great, great question. I mean, the thing is, we we as a, I'm totally comfortable. Anybody can open up the bowl bonnet, and we are we are what we say we are, and Every single bit of our supply chain, I am constantly looking at to make ourselves a more responsible business. Trying to do the right thing from day one has been part of our DNA. And I believe in sustainable capitalism. I believe that businesses can be a force for good. So when it comes to something like packaging, first off, big shout out to Sir David Attenborough, because he's obviously massively brought it to the, the public's attention. We have in the business's journey, obviously used a lot of plastic. The every single bit of plastic we've ever used is recyclable. It's upcyclable. We have a campaign running, hashtag don't waste create. Our latest piece of packaging, which we launched in January, uh, at the beginning of January last year, was 95% plastic free. So that was using a renewable resource, which is sugarcane that we've pulped into what, what people call the gas. We've got another piece of innovation launching in the summer which is 100% plastic free. But I'm slightly nervous about the law of unintended consequences in the world packaging because the problem problem is plastic for people in the food industry. It's a really good material. It it keeps it's it keeps food safe. It it's great to travel around. It's lightweight, so it's a lot less carbon emissions than some of the heavier materials out there. When handled correctly, it obviously is recyclable and can be reused and if people saw it as 
resource, not rubbish. If the government didn't have 39 bloody recycling schemes across England, in Wales there's one. Like The circular economy only works if, if people do their bit, right? But we've... I mean, our, our most recent change is we've put a um, an aluminium lid on our salad jar. That has increased my cost of goods by uh, by three times. But over the year, it saves 22 tonnes of plastic. So people say to me, well, why don't you go one step further and, and get rid of the, the plastic jar? I could put the jar on a um, into cardboard box, for example. But the problem is you push the problem around the ecosystem. We only get five or six days shelf life on our products because they're totally fresh. They're totally natural. If you put it into a cardboard box, you knock about 30% off the shelf life and then you just increase the food waste problem. It's not always so clear cut, is oh, it? Oh man, people it's are totally so, not. People are so quick to say, you shouldn't use plastic, you shouldn't do this, but it's not always as, as clear cut. It, I, it's so hard and it's trying to keep the main thing, the main thing. And my thing is about inspiring the world to do, eat more plants and doing that as responsibly as possible. I've just started an initiative where the second best thing you can do, the United Nations say, other than predominantly adopting a plant-based diet to help reverse the impact of climate change is, is to plant trees. And we've just done a, a deal in, in Nottingham where we've calculated our personal and professional CO2 for everybody in the team and we're planting trees to offset that and building a, a bowl forest that's going to be there for over 100 years. So there's just so much that you're doing there is if somebody's listening to this podcast and there is a piece of packaging out there we will be the brand that will dive into it people talk about bioplastic and why are we not in bioplastic well people have got different views on bioplastic because the problem with bioplastic is it's not easy to actually like decompose it yeah. with the current recycling structure it's and, almost impossible yeah and if you do and you do it and you do it incorrectly yeah. even 0.5 percent of the recycling stream that gets bioplastic in it it ruins the whole recycling. If it don't decompose it correctly, it creates methane. Methane is 24 times more harmful, harmful to the environment than CO2. Like, the thing is, as much as I love the fact that everybody has strong opinions on this stuff now, it is tough sometimes when um, you're getting judged for stuff that we are doing everything we can to completely get rid of any single-use plastic we are we are we are as a brand already at the level in terms of everything being recyclable and uh, net zero um carbon charitable donations forest blah 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 that the bigger companies are going to say they're going to be out in 10 15 years time but i'm totally cool with it because if people want to keep challenges it'll make us it'll make us better and the best version of ourselves keep you a pioneer brand and that's what we're gonna be yeah exactly and on that basis then and since you have innovated, I mean, it's, it sounds amazing to me, the initiatives that you're now discussing. Definitely. Yeah. Coming forwards, where where do you see Bowl heading now? I said you've got some big plans for 2020. It'd be great to understand kind of what the where you see the market shifting, how you guys are reacting to it, and what you kind of see there are the key trends going forwards. I think the most exciting thing for me is there is the penetration of this market versus where it is going to be in a few years' time is still tiny. I know the three of us have been involved in it for many years now, and we know it's now bigger than it's ever been, but we're only just getting started. We it, just said this off camera. We were like, <laughs> we're like, we're, we're just coming out of early adopter stage. Like, this uh, is I still think so early adopter. Yeah, probably yeah. still early adopter. To us, it seems yeah, we, like we're we were, beyond we were it. We were but... saying probably about 5% of the UK did veganery. That's still early adopter exactly so i'm like there is so uh, so much uh, that we can do as an industry in the future and 
for us, we're all about making it easy for um, uh, people to get more plants. And we want to do that any time of day. So uh, at the moment, most of our range is consumed either at lunchtime or dinner time. But I want bowl to be available breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacking, desserts, baby bowl. Uh, baby bowl, that's he, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I've just, the, the work, like, that's kind of one of my problems because I want to do everything too quickly and <laughs> regularly told like most to entrepreneurs basically. concentrate exactly <laughs> so uh, the 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 amount of plans we have for growth and also as much as the uk is obviously our heartland this little there's so much more beyond this little island i i want bowl to be a global brand i i'd like to now brexit's kind of got got some clarity on brexit we should be launching in ireland we had we had to put that on hold a couple of years ago because of the uncertainty around Brexit and uh, continental Europe had been the next stop. So the innovation we will be doing as a team, growing the size of the team, there is, there's big, big plans for this year. And I, I just am so excited. I mean, we were all brought up in the meat and two veg and everything uh, had meat or dairy in it. And that's just going to change over the next few years. So just being, being part of that as the whole industry changes is just freaking exciting. It's exciting you're talking about the future markets you can go into. And it's interesting you talked about Brexit. How is that affecting businesses like yourselves who want to export to mainland Europe, maybe America? What? How is that impacting on you? Oh, it's been a nightmare. It's been, I mean, the uncertainty... No, no, as, a, as a business owner running a business that's tiny and every single day feels like you're in a street fight and you some days it's like every time you turn around it's like standing on a rake you you just could do with the political political climate to be a bit more fucking stable so the last few years have been brutal but i tell you what the main positive out of it is i mean i wanted to launch on the continent years ago i wanted to go to ireland years ago maybe let me put i put try and have an optimistic growth mindset with everything Maybe it's helped us really concentrate on dial down on, on getting things right on this little island and moving things on. But uh, the consumer uncertainty, the retailer, the fluctuation in, in the currency rate, it's been, it's been a bit of a nightmare. And yeah, let's not start talking about whether you leave or remain. We're leaving. And I think as a whole country, we just need to get behind it and, and create the best possible deal now for uh, uh, this generation and future generations to come. I think it's that growth mindset and that optimistic mindset that us as the business community and entrepreneurs need to adopt because there are opportunities there. And whatever, you know, your your personal feelings are about Brexit, I think most of us probably all would be remain. But it's about yeah. the, there's always opportunity in every change. So I think as a community, we just have to adopt that mindset. And I think it's a really positive place to be. I love yeah. that you touched on that as well. What, one of the things that, I'd love to to know a little bit more about is through this journey, and as you said, it does it really does feel like you're in a street fight every day, quite quite literally. <laughs> um, what do you feel have been the areas of personal growth for you in this journey? So obviously, from exiting, leave, leaving innocent, starting bowl, ch changing bowl, you know, and then and now scaling up. How do you feel that you've changed? Wow, I. I used to sit there as an employee at Innocent and think, bloody founders, <laughs> they do, they, they've got it easy, like recharge around doing all the work, they just make the decisions and <laughs> uh, 
wow, it's so much harder than I. It's so much harder than I thought it was. I've always, I've always had deep levels of grit, resilience. That's that has just been in me since I was a kid. Um, so I think I've had to learn to be more measured. I've had to be become far more pragmatic. I found it really hard to 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 be in in the trenches dealing with what you could argue are quite small minutiae details of the business to then straight into a meeting where you're dealing with quite strategic big stuff and that kind of m- moving from trenches to strategic I found really hard. I can deal with anything that gets thrown at me in terms of tough relay- retailer conversations, uh, numbers not coming in, all of the stuff. But when I know that someone in my team's not happy or there's there's just a, a bit of a challenge at a personal level, I, I take that really personally. And I've learned a lot about how to get the best out of the team. Cool. So we have a set of questions we ask everyone who's coming on the show. Okay. Um, so they're like a little few quick fire ones. Uh, Louis, start. Oh, I like this one on, as well. Go on, let's yeah. get one. <laughs> um, why do you get up in the morning? Usually because my four-year-old boy, Jackson, comes jumps on my head and says he's hungry. <laughs> Which he did this morning. He literally jumped on my head and told me he was hungry, which is just the best thing in the world. Uh, so I, I, I've i changed my routine a little bit because I, I was not like, I've got young kids and... Um, trying to see them in the morning so i get up in i get up in the morning it's not the most deep answer perhaps you're looking for but just to spend a little bit of time with them and then and then bounce out bounce out and crack on with the day i think that's a great answer i don't think that's okay yeah (laughs) um so what problems are you trying to solve with bowl i don't see it as a problem i see it as an opportunity Uh, being part of a movement to change the world I think it. I think there is. I think there's no. There it is. It is the. It is the single biggest opportunity I believe of this generation to to massively change how people see food, see the environment, and recognise the importance of getting more plants into their diet. So, uh, yeah, it's just a hell of an opportunity. What resource has made the biggest impact on your business? Our people, by my like, yeah. it just doesn't. Nothing else even comes close. I don't really, really like to think of <laughs> team as people or whatever, but as resource. Sorry, but um, I've seen it now for twenty years. The the reason Innocent was such a success was because of the people, and the reason I'm still running Bowl today and we're growing year on year is because of, of the people. And it's the it's the core team. It's the people who. Uh, the partners that we have, um, the growers, the farmers, in the production, that like just everybody who is part of it. If any, if any of those elements aren't working, then the whole thing falls down. So, what are your top three books or podcasts you'll recommend to entrepreneurs? Uh, Decoded is a quality one. Um, that's more on the kind of the creative side of things. How brands build. Byron Sharp's a, a good one in terms of, well, I mentioned a couple earlier, uh, How Not to Die and Food Revolution for the, the Environmentalists. And 
I, I think it's good to switch off now and again. So I, Wilbur Smith, I used to work on a game reserve in South Africa and I just I just read Wilbur Smith when I want like an adult style Beano because I think sometimes reading too many self-help books or business books, or it, sometimes it can really mash your head up. So reading... <laughs> sometimes it's good to find also, if you're into Audible, you find someone's voice that really helps you like yeah. kind of like switch. I like listen to like old like Alan Watts recordings and his yeah, voice yeah. just sends yeah. me like to sleep. Exactly. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's kind of like you can listen to books and podcasts for the purpose of educating yourself and inspiring yourself, but you can also listen to them just to switch off. Yeah. Just to remove, just to like, you know, remove the mind from having to work too hard. Yeah. My favorite podcast at the moment is Rich Roll. Yeah. So okay. he, he's got that, that soft voice that, just chills you out and makes you yeah. uh it's kind of almost uh, gets you in a meditative state yeah so. yeah rich rich was a big inspiration for for me as well in the early days and you know now we're doing the podcast as well definitely a big lot of respect for him for yeah. like paving the way and you know definitely. spreading the message about what we're all doing you said three i've definitely said about eight there That's sorry absolutely fine. <laughs> it's fine it's value um what do you know now that you wish you knew when you started bon? The biggest thing for me is to not forget to enjoy the process. Mm. And I think goal setting is it clearly makes a lot of sense and, and having big ambitions and big vision and all that stuff. But I've got to say, there's a lot about the last five years that I've not enjoyed and I found really tough. But I'm certain I'm going to enjoy a lot in the next five years a lot more. And I think that that's more to do with my own mental state of mind than anything else, because we are here, as my nana used to say, even life at its longest is, is very short. And so I think we've just got to enjoy the process and not, and not forget to try to enjoy it and not become so obsessive about the end result, because otherwise you can, you can lose track a bit. I think it's really valuable for people listening to hear it from people who, you know, who they can look at and say, they're where I want to be. And I look back on some of the things that I've done and think, wow, you know what? At that time, I was looking to where I am now. I think, when I just get there, I'll be happy. Yeah. When I just get there, I'll feel fulfilled. We were just yeah. talking and about actually, this. And, and all of the enjoyment, actually, when I look back, yeah. is in that early stage, like two of us or three of us and building it and not sure if it was going to go. That was the like the most enjoyable time. Yeah, man. And it's, it's very easy to let time run away with you when you're not present for it and you're looking to the next big goal. But actually... All the enjoyment, all the growth, all the lessons are happening right now. And it's always right now, where, where, wherever you are. I think that's that's an amazingly powerful piece of uh, piece of advice. I think. Lastly, um, what do you do to keep yourself sane? I'm not sure I am sane most of the time. <laughs> uh, tra- <laughs> I train hard. I play hard. I work hard. I try to be happy. Give back. I mean it's i don't think there is a perfect equation out there i do think it is amazing nowadays that there is there is so much there are so many great people we talked about rich roll a minute ago who you can listen to get giving giving the advice of what works for them but i think people have just got to do it their way and not beat them up beat themselves up too much for having to 
start doing it like other people. It, I mean, before I came here, I trained really hard for an hour in the in the gym, and it just made me feel great. I was just uh, my energy was going slightly because I've been up. <laughs> Jackson came in pretty early, and I just feel great. And I'll probably finish the podcast. I'll go back to the studio. And then I'll have a couple of drinks with the team. And like, do you know what I mean? Like each day is different. I think you just got to give you, like if you people know you need to do a bit of exercise or do some meditation and eat good food, kind of know all that good stuff, right? But don't beat yourself up if you're not, if you're not delivering on that every single day. Just accept the fact that you need to freestyle it a little bit, but just be happy, be happy, positive vibes. <laughs> Love that. I think no judgment on yourself, really. It's like every day is different and, you know, you need to respect yourself in that sense. And, as much you know, as you're looking, at the, you're looking at these yeah. people, not not judging yourself for not being there yet. Yeah. Allowing yourself to go through the process of, yeah. get, of, of getting there and have aspirations and have role models and have all these things. But ultimately, you know, as you said, one step, one step forward, and 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 it's it's patient, isn't it? It's growth. It's not going to happen over totally overnight. People just, I think we've got into this mindset now, largely driven by social media. I would say where I just think there's an unhealthy obsession with probably subconsciously people are comparing themselves to other people too much, and I think we've all just got to get comfortable that it's it's ourselves. That's that's where we've got to concentrate on and. Um, you're not going to lie there on your deathbed and start beating yourself up because you never quite made it to what someone else is doing. You're going to lie there and you're going to look back and you're going to go, have I, have I, have I done what everything that I could have done to live the best, the most fruitful life and just start within. Cool. Well, Paul, is that wrap? <laughs> yeah. Thanks for coming on. Um, where can people find bowl and then um, where can they connect with you? So, in terms of where to find us, available in Tesco, Sainsbury's, Waitrose, the Co-op, Ocado. Everywhere. W.H. Smith, Costa Coffee, <laughs> and some smaller, smaller shops too. And Online? Yeah. So Ocado and Amazon Fresh, um, not direct to consumer yet, but maybe in the future. And then with, with me, obviously our bowl foods, uh, social media and and personally personally on link, LinkedIn, or I'm loving WhatsApp nowadays. I feel like I do half my business on WhatsApp. <laughs> Louis does all his business on WhatsApp. Voice notes, voice notes from the oh, guy. No. I sent a voice notes to a mate the other day, and he was like, "What are we? Fifteen? You can't be sending me voice notes." I, don't I, was voice like, notes I quite like them. It's such an efficient way of so communicating. What WhatsApp voice notes are my top tip for the week? This podcast is produced by Fevolution. It is edited by Bradley Addison Child, hosted by Louis Blake, Damian Clarkson, and Judy Nadell. To learn more, visit fevolution.co slash business and check us out on Instagram at plantbasedbusiness, Louis underscore Blake, and Fevolution underscore. So please share this far and wide, and we'll see you plantpreneurs next time.